we're starting this series, Jesus Creed, and, and here's what I want to talk about and ask a question. And, and this is a question that, like, it's an easy question, but, you know, we can, like, I could ask all of us, and we all might have different variations of an answer, and that is this. What is spiritual formation? When we talk about spiritual formation, what are we talking about? Now, you can go get, you can go to, to a university or seminary, you can get a degree in spiritual formation. It, like, there's, uh, there's enough kind of, like, in the, in the topic of spiritual formation, there is enough to say, I'm going to go get a degree in it. There's enough to study. But at the same time, like, we could probably, given enough time, we could probably define it in a sentence. We could describe it probably very succinctly. So what is spiritual formation? I've, I've had, um, uh, I've, uh, and, and uh, I want to be careful because wherever you lay, like I don't know where you are in your, like your faith walk, your journey, your, your understanding of Jesus, but I've, I know I've had conversations with people in my office who when we talk about f- spiritual formation, um, two things happen. Either they get really excited and, and, and are like, man, uh, yes, okay, how can we do more? How can we do more? I, we want to talk about discipleship and spiritual formation and growing in our faith. And it's like, it's the thing that you say, if we bring this up, they're like, I'll sign up for the class. I'll sign, like, tell me where to go. Tell me what to read. I'm in. I want to do this. And then I've had the opposite where, where like the pendulum where, where I've had a couple in my office say, um, anytime we hear the word spiritual formation, we know that's, co- that's code for false teaching. Oh, and, and, it's, and it's code for progressive woke Christian, Christianity. And I'm, I'm going, wow, I didn't know this was such a divisive term. But it can be. So like, what is spiritual formation? To put it another way, what, and maybe this will help, what, is a, what does a spiritually formed person look like? Where you would say that this person, this person, whoever it is, is like I would describe them as maybe spiritually mature. We might like that word better. And a spiritually formed or spiritually mature person looks like this. This, they do this, or they say this, or they believe this, or they think like this. Um, or, or, or you may have in your mind a specific person by name, like, oh man, when I think of, of like a spiritually mature person, I think of, you know, Jim, or I think of Sue, or my neighbor, or my, my, my aunt. Or, like, there might be a person in your life, you go, man, I think, like, of all the people I know, th- I, I would say it's them. That is like... If I could be someone who's spiritually mature, it's this person. Now, what does Jesus say about spiritual formation? Now, he doesn't ever use those words, spiritual formation. That's a kind of a more modern term. But, but you better believe he talks about spirituality. He talks about growing in our faith. He certainly talks about um, becoming more like God. And, and, and so what, is, what does he have to say about spiritual formation. According to Jesus, what does a spiritually formed person look like? Where he would say, all right, how would Jesus answer this question? What does a spiritually formed person look like? He was asked this. He was asked a, a, a question like this where, where he, uses, he uses this specific question to answer 
a different question. And he answers kind of on a service level, but then he answers on a much deeper level where you say, whoa, there's more to this than, than just simply like Jesus answering a question of a, of a critic or a skeptic or someone who, who genuinely wants to know. Jesus is asked a question, and here's what we see. Jesus defines spiritual formation with, you guessed it, the Jesus Creed. His answer to what, is a, what does a spiritually formed person look like, his answer is with what is termed, what we've termed what, as the Jesus Creed. So we're gonna jump in and, and look at this. It comes in, in uh, Mark chapter 12, um, this is the last week of his life. So, so he's, he's gone through his whole ministry. He's done, he's preached everywhere. He's healed people. Like he's been persecuted and he's, he's, he's called his disciples. And like, like, all, like all the things you think of in his ministry, his three years of ministry and a half years of ministry, all of that has happened. Now he's in his final week. So it's, it, Palm Sunday has already come. And now, now he's spending each day in the temple courts teaching and preaching, which is going to eventually lead up to Friday, right? To what we call Good Friday and, and, and the crucifixion. But we're not there yet. We're a few days before that. And so he's been literally nonstop over and over. And, and, and there's crowds because there's a ton of people in Jerusalem for Passover. So he's been preaching and teaching and being asked and being kind of um, like interrogated by, by uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, two different religious groups. And so a group of Pharisees and a group of Sadducees, they try, to, they try to catch Jesus in a legal error about marriage. And they say, all right, Jesus, there's this, uh, there's this uh, lady and uh, she's been married and then he died and then she married again and then he died and then she married again and, and, and goes through like, all right, she's been married to all these guys. Okay, now at the end, who gets her? And they're like, we got him. We got him, Right? Because how, how do you, it's like this unanswerable question. How do you answer, like, who, to whom will she be married to in the next life? And he gives this brilliant response. He's like, you guys aren't even thinking about this, right? There, there's no, people won't be given to marriage or married. And, and they're like, what? Like, they're trying, to, right? they're, trying to, they're trying to quiz him and trap him. And he comes with this brilliant answer that, like, blows their kind of their framework of how they understand marriage and, and, uh, and commitment. And, and, and then they realize, like, oh, man, okay. We, not only did we not catch him, we look like idiots. Like, like, man, we'll see that it shows up again in this passage. That they have this, like, oh, man, we, he made us look like fools. And, and so the, he just, ha- the just, just happened... And they want to see um, if, he cla- if Jesus claims a higher authority than Moses. Moses is the greatest authority in their life and their understanding. He gave us the law, the Torah, the first five books, um, which are often referred to as the first five books of Moses. And, and so like, all right, here it is. God's perfect law given to Moses, written down for us. And so they're like, who? There's no one greater than, than Moses. So they're trying, to, they're trying to use the law to catch Jesus to make him say something where, where he, he, Jesus, is more important, it has more authority than Moses. And if they can get him to say that, then they get him to say, look at this, he just blasphemed and he's a sinner and how can he say that? And this rabbi, this teacher, certainly is not worth following. This guy who claims to be greater than Moses. How can that possibly be? So they're trying to catch him. And so they're coming up with all these questions just to try to nail that one issue. So we come to Mark chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 28. 
And we see this. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So this, this teacher of the law, some translations uh, translate it more accurately as a scribe. Is a, he has a very specific role. He was a, a professional scholar specializing in, in interpreting and applying the law of Moses. So like this was, this was, this was the guy. Like this is the guy you go to. All right, tell us, like we have a question about this particular law. All right, he was a, in other translations or other, even other passages, it calls them a lawyer. So, so this was an expert of, of the law, but the Mosaic, like the Jewish law, not like the, you know, the, the, not the Roman law, but, but specifically. All right. He, these were the guys that, that the Pharisees and Sadducees would go to if they had a question specifically about how, like the technicality of this law, you go to these, these scribes or these lawyers or, or these, um, uh, these teachers of the law. So one of them came and heard them debating with Jesus. Right? These scribes and lawyers, they're the theologians of, the, of this religious system. They're the guys who get it. Like they know. They know. All right. It says this. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, all right, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The Greek here is, is a little more forceful than that. It's actually, it's not which is the most important, but it's which which of them is supreme over all? Which of them, which of the commandments is the one that like, oh, that like overshadows all of them? So it's not like, all right, tell me, tell me your, t- like, like, hey, give me your favorite verse, right? Give me your top verse. No, no, it's not, it's not a matter of preference. He's saying, which, which of the commandments supersedes and, oh, and like rules over all of them? What is, the, what is the epitome of the law? All right, that's a big question. You can imagine. And you also see why he's asking because this is his life. All right, Jesus, like I have my understanding of the law. I'm, a, I'm an expert in the law. I have a pretty good understanding. I've been studying the law. I, I share it with these guys. Okay, of all the topics I could ask you, all right, I want to know what do you think is the greatest, the most important, the, 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 the law that has like the commandment that has the most authority over all, over all of them. So he asked this question. Now, there are... Uh, there are 613 commandments or laws in the Old Testament. 248 are positive, meaning do this, go do this thing. 365 are in the negative, meaning don't do this. So there's 248 do's and 365 don'ts. And, and to, if you live all of them, you have now 613. 613. That is a lot. Like, you like we think of the Ten Commandments. First of all, I bet we don't even have all of them memorized. I bet we could like, give it enough time collectively. Like if we, you know, you phone a friend, you could probably get all ten. But but for us, like all right, just the just the top ten. Like oh man, I I'm at eight. I, I'm forgetting. I know I'm, I, there's another one. There's two more in there. What what are they? And and like we don't we we have a hard time with that. Let alone living them out. They have 613. You can see why they need lawyers, like experts in the law, to talk about and discuss the law. There's 613. So the Sam, the Sanhedrin, the, the kind of the ruling elders, um, they 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 sent these people to try and discredit Jesus. This guy was probably sent there as well, and and he's impressed with Jesus. We actually see that that his his question is genuine. This isn't he's not trying to trap. He sees that Jesus like he gives a good answer, and so he asks an honest answer. And we'll see we'll see why as we go through this series. Um, we'll see why later today, like when Jesus has an interaction with him at the end, and in some other passages, kind of parallel passages, we. See 
see, this guy probably, he really is genuinely, all right, Jesus, I'm not, this isn't a trap. Which, which really is the greatest commandment? Like, I've dedicated my life to these commands. What's the best, what's the biggest, most important of all of them? So, among these commandments, rabbis, they differed between what they called heavy and light commandments. Um, some of them, some of them, like the, the light commandments, uh, dealt with uh, possessions and wills and like, you know, this money goes to them and if they can't handle it or if the, if the father dies, the, possession, like, the possessions go to here. This is what happens um, uh, for, in a marriage if one spouse dies. Like, like the stuff that you go, okay, this is just kind of like rules and governance. And then there's heavy ones where, all right, if you don't do these, the consequences are much more severe. And so they categorize heavy, like important commands, and then still important, but not as detrimental or not, not at like lighter. They literally had this like heavy versus light. And, and so, so like it makes sense. It, like they're those, though they're 613, they're not all equal. They don't have all like the same amount, like percentage of, um, of, uh, of seriousness or authority, but rather, all right, which there are some that are and the Ten Commandments certainly would rise to the top as these, these are far more important and all-encompassing than some of the lower ones so this question still stands of all the commandments Jesus, if you rank them which is most important and then we see this verse 29 it says this, the most important one answered Jesus is this and this now is the Jesus Creed he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is part one, and he mentions four specific areas that you're supposed to love the Lord. He's quoting something we're going to look at here in a second. This is so much deeper than, than kind of at the surface level of what we think. But Jesus is going to now give like four specific areas where he says, all right, love the Lord your God, not like casually, but with all, with all of your heart. The heart, um, your cardia in Greek, or like cardiology, like your heart, is your inner core. So this is like the, the, the who you are. Your heart is you, at least biblically speaking, theologically. Like, like when you see this, out of one's heart, you sp a person speaks. Or, right, Jesus talked about things coming from your heart that make you either, like it's not what goes into the body, but what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. Like, like it's, your, your, it's, it's you, it's the, your essence. He talked about the soul, which represents uh, your emotions, and kind of your emotional state. So Jesus says things like, I am, um, uh, I am distressed deep in my soul, even to the point of death. Or, or why, uh, why are you so downcast, my soul? And so like the soul is then like another part of you or essence of you where you say, this is like, where, this is where like my center of emotions come from, is the soul. Again, theologically and, and uh, biblically speaking. And then he mentions your mind and your mind is your intellect this is now where you think like 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 um uh your ability to understand and to reason and to to uh, uh, to formulate words and have a conversation comes from your mind so he says love the lord your god with all your mind as well and then and then the last one he says 
to love the Lord your God with all your strength. And this is like your physical function, your ability, like, like when you think of strength, like, like to, to, to love the Lord your God with all of your intentions and your ability to do so. So here's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't think of this as like categories of a making up of a person. Like this isn't soteriology where you talk about like the soul and salvation and like, and like which part of the person is sinful and which isn't and how do we divide up and, and do animals have these same divisions? Do animals have souls? Listen, listen, you're going, too, you're going way too far in this passage. Jesus is not talking about the souls of animals or the makeup of like the different parts of a person. Here's what he's saying. Every, in every single aspect or area of your life, it should be devoted to God. What's the greatest commandment? Here it is, ready? Love the Lord with all of yourself, with all of your emotions, with, with all of your thinking and your ability to understand, and with all of your strength, all of your ability to do so. Everything that you are should be focused on loving God. That is a pretty fair greatest commandment. That makes a lot of sense. What could possibly be more or greater than that? So we see he answers. Now, that's all fine and good, but he does something else. He adds one. He gives a freebie. Here's a second one. He goes on and it says this, verse 31, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus actually, he summarizes the Ten Commandments here with these two, with these two commands. The first four of the, great, of the Ten Commandments focus on loving God. The final six focus on loving your neighbor. He actually categorizes how, like, how, like, how to think through all the commands, including the Ten Commandments, and says, all right, there's actually like, more than just commands, there's categories. And there's love God with all that you are. And then the second, which, listen, don't neglect this, is love your neighbor as yourself. And both of those, he says, both of those make up the greatest commandment. So Jesus tells us, we need to not just love God, but to love others. Now, um, here's what's, what's interesting. The, this lawyer, he responds, verse 32. Well said, teacher, rabbi. He's like, all right. Hey, that's really good. What you just shared, like, what you shared, that's, yeah, I couldn't have done it better myself. Like, all right, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more, and this is what he says, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Loving God, he says, is far greater than all of the Old Testament like sacrificial system. That is a pretty big statement because listen, that was how they worshiped. Like we come on, uh, on a Sunday and we're like, all right, it's time for worship. And we get, and you, you like, we, you know, you, you come here enough where you realize, all right, this is, a, we're gonna get up, we're gonna sing some worship songs and we're gonna, we're gonna praise the Lord. We're gonna think about him. We're gonna sing theology. We're gonna maybe pray a little bit. They come, like if, if we were, you know, like old OT Testament and 
hey, we're gonna come and, uh, and we're gonna worship the Lord. Or like, all right, uh, shoot, did you get the goat? I, okay, I'll, I have a knife. Do you have, and you're going, wait, what? Like if, if this were it, it would be, hey, it's time to worship. You guys would all be bringing in some wonderful animals, beautiful animals, unblemished, to sacrifice, to worship. And this guy says, you know what, Jesus, you nailed it. To love the Lord your God with all of yourself and to love your neighbors, that, like love your neighbor as yourself, he says, that is actually greater than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Oh, ooh, now we're on to something here. You, okay, you're in the system. This guy is in the sacrificial system. He's an expert in it. And he says, actually, to love God and love others is more important than all of that. And look at Jesus' response. This is why we know this guy was genuine and he, he really was. All right, that, I, that you, you are really like messing with me here, Jesus. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He says, hey, you're pretty close here. Like you're, un- you're understanding that this is not about sacrificing animals or that, that it's much more than that. Ooh, you're real close, buddy. Like you're way closer than all of these guys back there. All these guys trying to trap me. It's like, you get it. You're really close to understanding all of this. And then it says this, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> no one dared be like made a fool again because they're, like every time they bring something up, he has this brilliant response. His understand, like he was, he's, they're, they're just playing, che- they're playing checkers and he's like 4D chess. Like he's like, oh, I, I already got checkmate. I already know how this all works, you guys. They're trying to trap him and he's going, oh man, you guys don't, you don't get it. Now, Let's talk about the specifics of why he answered this way. Now, this is where it gets interesting because the Jesus Creed, like you hear that, and I'm gonna guess, uh, I'm gonna guess if you've been uh, you know, in church for a while, you've probably, like this is, I'm, I, I think, I hope it's not new with regard to like, oh, I've never heard Jesus say the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, okay, I've heard that before. I've heard sermons on that before. Now, now let's go, we're gonna spend some time this today and then over the next few weeks digging deeper and saying, what is it that he's actually quoting? What is it that he's actually saying? Like, what, like, what is it that's, that's beyond this? Like, how can we say that this is about spiritual formation when, when this is just feels like a quiz or a test? According to Jesus, spiritual formation is loving God. This is, this, again, this, this won't be complicated. Like, you're not gonna leave here going, I do not understand anything he said. That, it might as well be speaking Greek. No, no, no. No, this is, this is very, this is very like, like understandable plain language. Jesus, according to Jesus, spiritual formation is loving God. Jesus doesn't make this up, though, he, he, when, he, when he gives this quote. Jesus quotes a very sacred creed called the Shema perhaps the most well-known of, of maybe the well, most well-known passages in the Old Testament, certainly the Old Testament, maybe, maybe the Bible. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter six, which is a passage that every, every single good Jewish boy and girl growing up would memorize and recite. Every single faithful Jew recited this particular passage twice a day. And we'll see why in a second. Twice a day, they recited in the morning and then in the evening, they recited the Shema. This very specific, very 
intentional and, and, and very all-encompassing passage that, that, that is about what it means to be a follower of God. So he quotes from this very specific, very important passage. He grounds the first commandment in the, uh, in the essential tenet of Jewish belief and monotheism. And so he establishes his theological orthodoxy. Okay, here's what that means. Ready? He knows they're trying to trap him. And so he says, all right, here's what I want you to know about my, my beliefs. What do you believe about God? What do you believe is the most important? He says, let me quote the most important passage in Judaism so that you know I am indeed very Jewish. It's almost like, like um, hey, uh, tell me what you believe about Christianity. Well, I mean, at, its, at, its, at the baseline, like if you say, all right, how do you know if someone's a Christian? Well, do they believe that Jesus is a savior and he, bring, he, out, he, he gives forgiveness through a sacrifice on the cross and they've put their faith and received him? You hear someone say like, yeah, that, that's how they describe like, their understanding of Christianity and the gospel and you say, okay, you know a thing or two. Like you, you get at least at its foundational level, you get it. Jesus quoting this is telling them, hey, by the way, I'm in. I'm one of you. I'm just as Jewish as you guys. So he quotes, he quotes the Shema. The Shema is, uh, is uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, it says this. Hear, O Israel. It's called the Shema because in Hebrew, the first word here is Shema. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. And then it says, um, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Alech. Okay. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is important. This, this might be the first time that monotheism is preached and claimed as this, like there is only one God. And it isn't this. Here, here, listen. Listen, Israel. The Lord is God. Yahweh is God. And listen, there's only one. It isn't there's only one we preach or there's only one we worship. There are plenty of people in their day that would have said, oh, we believe in, in a bunch of different gods and, and this, this uh, civilization has a God and this one has a God and they all worship their own and we have our own God too. No, no, they're saying that there is only one. Not that we only worship one, but literally he is the only one. All the others are false. And so... So this creed is a statement of monotheism where he says, I believe in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is just one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Okay, that's what Jesus quotes. Here's the rest of it, which they would have known. They've all had it memorized. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children this is why they raise their children with this particular passage talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road when you lie down when you go to bed at night and when you get up when you get up in the morning hence they recite this at bedtime and in the morning tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads um, this, is, this is what they, they actually physically did this and you go to Israel today they still do this. They're called phylacteries. Here's a photo, I think, of um, what it looks like. And they would wrap around their arm and to their head a specific box. And in that box, guess what's in there? This passage, the Shema. They literally will say, all right, Lord, you want us to bind them to our hands and tie them to our hands and bind them to our foreheads? We, we will do that very thing. And then it says, write them 
on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Guess what else they do? So these are called phylacteries. And then they have a, a what's called a mezuzah. Mezuzah is on, literally, if you go to Israel, in every door frame of every building is this. You, your hotel, you go to a hotel room, doesn't matter what your hotel, what floor you are, guess what you're going to have? And there's all different variations and all different materials and some are really simple and some are in stone and some are ornate and you're like, wow, this is like incredible. And, and guess what's rolled up inside there? The Shema. Israel today, 2,000 years later, is just as devoted to the Shema as it was back then. And so for them, for Jesus to quote the Shema is him saying this, this is the, like, this is the greatest thing you could do. To love the Lord your God and to remember it. Listen, he quotes that and they're like, all right, he passed the test. Like that, that was a softball. That was easy. What's the most important? And they're like, clearly it's the Shema. We literally put it in every single building in our country. We tie it to our heads. It is pretty important. So he does this and, he, and, and, and doing so, he says, not only my Jewish What's most important is the love of God. So he says, love God for who he is because he is one. And love God with all you are. Loving God in Judaism is living out the Torah, the law. So it's no surprise he quotes the greatest of the commandments. And then Jesus does something he's not supposed to do. That's great. He should stop. If he stops here, they look at this and say, all right, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. This is why it's no longer like the Shema Creed, what we call the Jesus Creed, because he changes it. Listen, he makes an amendment. We, we know, we understand amendments, right? We, we value, in this country, we value amendments. They've, they've, been, they've been fairly important over the course of our history. Jesus makes an amendment to the Shema. What? You don't get to do that, Jesus. That's like, that's it. It's the Shema, that's... It's not, this isn't up for interpretation. This isn't up for a rewrite. This isn't up for like to paraphrase or like to, to think, ready for this? We don't care what it means to you or like how you want to define it. No, no, no. That's the Shema. You don't change it. Jesus says, now let me make, let me, let me make a little addition to it. We see this. According to Jesus, spiritual formation is loving God, but then he adds this, that spiritual formation is loving your neighbor. He adds to the Shema a big no-no, and he quotes from Leviticus 19.18. Now, this isn't nearly as, like, all-encompassing or, or, uh, or well-known as the Shema, but it's certainly, like, this guy would have known it because he, he's a, this is what he does. He studies the law. He's a lawyer, a scribe. And, and it says this, Leviticus 19.18, Jesus then quotes and says, this is the second now of all of them. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Here it is, ready? He quotes this part. But love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, this is different. Jesus, what you just said is not Shema, which we all understand. You've now tweaked it a little bit. You've added to it and said, not only is the Shema important, but now, ready for this, loving your neighbor is spiritual formation. That it's not enough to just say, well, I love God. Because listen, that's what they did. They loved God by obeying the Torah, by following the laws. And listen, to the neglect 
of everyone else, of their neighbors, of neighboring countries, of neighboring people, of people of different faiths. Listen, as long as we love God, we're fine. And Jesus says, actually, ah, actually, you need to do more. That, that, that to grow, to be a spiritually mature person means loving God, yes, but it also means loving others. So Jesus says, you, wanna, you want to understand what it means to grow in your faith, to grow spiritually, to be mature. You love others, and then he, embedded in this is another love that we don't think about. We think about loving others as yourself, but listen. He assumes, ready for this? Ready? Okay, are you sitting down? He assumes you love yourself. Embedded in this command is the assumption you love yourself and, and you love yourself so much that that same kind of love you have for yourself, you need to then give to other people. Now, if, listen, if you have a hard time loving yourself, spiritual formation is growing in your understanding and love for you. Does that make sense? That, like, like as much as it's, like, we're told to deny ourselves, absolutely. And in, in doing so, we actually experience, like, our love for ourselves. Like, like think of this. Um, if you have a family, if you have kids, and you say, like, man, I, like, more than anything, I want, I, I love my kids, and I want what's best for them. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I, I, I hope there's not a parent in here who's like, you know what, actually, my kids are turds. All of them. And they could use, you know, like, you know, something happened. Like, like, even though they are punks, even though they are punks, listen, there's not a parent in here who says, but I still want what's best for them. Like, no matter what, I still want what's best for them. In fact, what's best for them is what's best for me. And, and to, see, to see a child struggle, to see a, a kid go through some like real hard times or, or like whatever that may be is probably the greatest pain in, in your life more than anything else. So for you, you understand like, like what you want for your kids. Here's what I want for my kids. I want them to love the Lord and I really do want them to love themselves. Not, not selfishly like I'm the most important, but to say, you know what? I really do want what's best for my life and what's best for my life is following the Lord. And I, I want them, I want them to know who they are, to know how God has made them and to be able to live and to lean into that. And then in doing so, like to, to make decisions like for them to say that same kind of love and desire I have for myself and my life that I want, like I want to experience goodness and blessing in life. Guess what? I now want that for other people. The same love, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, there's an assumption here that you love yourself and you want what's best for you and your life. And in doing so, he says, that same kind of attitude, the same kind of approach to your life, ready? You should have for other people. That you should love them and want blessing and goodness for them. This, this, this addition to the Shema is not what they were expecting. And, and it's one of those things where you realize, oh, Jesus has some authority and some insight and some wisdom that they just, they, they aren't even on the same grounds with. That according to Jesus, spiritual formation is loving your neighbor. So growing in your faith requires growing in two loves. What we could say is a vertical love for God that I'm going to love up and a horizontal love for other people. 
that I'm gonna love the people around me. So here's what he says. Here's spiritual formation, the Jesus Creed. Ready? You love God, absolutely, with all that you are, and you don't neglect loving other people on a horizontal level. That, that, that growing in your faith, ready? Requires both. For Jesus, a spiritually formed person, does both. Spiritual formation is growing in your love for God and your love for others. We could say this. We could, we could even take this a step further and say the rate at which I love is the rate at which I grow. One of the questions that, that I'm sure you have that a lot of us have is, hey, I wanna grow in my faith. How do I grow in my faith? How do I grow? How do I grow spiritually? How do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? Like when we talk about spiritual formation, how do I, like, how do I form myself spiritually? Listen, ready? The, the rate at which you love is the rate at which you grow. Listen, if you have a hard time loving people, you are, listen, you are going to have a hard time growing spiritually. I mean, really. As much as we want to say, I, I love God, but man, people are just a pain. And listen, first of all, you're right. <laughs> Second of all, you love them anyways. Maybe even especially that people are difficult. You, listen, I, I, I know a lot of you most of you are lovely people. <laughs> Listen, there are people who love you in spite of you. <laughs> okay? You're not some wonderful person walking around and people are like, man, like, I just wish, I just wish they were my friend. They're so wonderful and amazing. When you're dating, that's true. And you're like, oh man, I just, I just want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And then you're married and you're like, man, did I... Did I make a mistake? Did I choose wrong? And, and not because like, oh, I want to split up. But because listen, it's hard to love another person. Even your spouse, like the person you love the most. And even your kids, you're like, man, I love my kids. But I don't want to look at them right now. <laughs> like, like listen, loving people, even the best people, your favorite people, your people in your family is hard. Because people are not perfect. And so Jesus says, it's not like love the people who are lovable. Listen, you love God. Okay, I got that and love your neighbor. Love everyone else as much as you love yourself. Oof. Okay, that's hard. The rate at which I love is the rate at which I grow. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna wrap up. We're gonna end here. We're just, this is kind of the intro to this Jesus creed that we're now gonna be looking at for the next, uh, for the, this series for six weeks, five more weeks. Um, and we're gonna look at, at, this is what's interesting. This is what this book helped me to do. It, it helped me understand like how the Jesus Creed isn't just like here in, in Mark or in Matthew and Luke and the other past, parallel passages, but it's on every page of the gospel. That this Jesus Creed actually permeates in the entire New Testament. And, and we see, we'll look at this, this is just, you know, a little bit of a sneak peek. We see other authors of the New Testament quote Jesus quoting these very commands. That they're quoting the Jesus Creed as part of their like, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That the Jesus Creed isn't just a, oh, good answer, Jesus. It's, oh, this is Jesus' understanding of what it means to grow spiritually, to love God and love others. So here's what we're gonna do. Ready? 
I am committing you to this. You showed up here today. Congratulations. You have agreed to memorize the Jesus Creed with me. Now, it's not that hard. In fact, we can do it a few times and you'll probably get it because maybe you've heard it enough. But here's the deal. We're gonna, as a group, as a church, every Sunday we're gonna memorize and recite the Jesus Creed, okay? So we'll start it here in just a second. And the second thing is here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. So I've challenged you to Bible reading. Here's the second thing, ready? You, like a good Jewish person, you're gonna recite the Jewish Creed twice a day. You're gonna recite it when you wake up in the morning. You start your day, you're gonna remind yourself the rate at which I love is the rate at which I grow. So I want, to, I want to grow in my love for God and other people. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna remind myself of what Jesus said. I'm gonna go to bed reminding myself, love the Lord your God and love my neighbor as myself. Did I do that today? Oh man, could have done it better. I didn't respond well to that situation. Maybe I need to fix it tomorrow. And, and here's what you're gonna find. As you do this, it will naturally draw you closer to the Lord. As you recite the Jesus Creed, it will be like a, uh, like a, like a filter that you put over your life, like, a, like an Instagram filter, but way better. Where you take a picture and you put a filter on and you're like, oh, that changes the photo. Okay, this Jesus Creed will change your experience of life, but we gotta memorize it. So here it is, ready? The Jesus Creed. You're gonna say it with me and we're gonna memorize this. If you, this is the NIV. If you have a different translation that you use, the ESV or NASB or, or, uh, or King James or something else, go ahead and memorize it out of that. You don't have to memorize this version. This is the one I'm doing. Here it is, ready? Okay, you're gonna say it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay, uh, that was step one. We're gonna do this a lot. My challenge and encouragement for you is to say, all right, by next Sunday, I will have that thing memorized. And, and start reciting it, that we memorize this and say, all right, I wanna grow spiritually. I'm gonna let the Jesus Creed, I'm gonna let Jesus' definition of spiritual formation literally color my life. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? We're gonna worship the Lord, we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna experience and take communion together. So you have these with you. We're gonna take uh, are the elements um, after, after we worship the Lord, so hold on to those, um, and, and, uh, and then we'll take communion together. So Lord... We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you that, you, um, that you've given us kind of the, the inside track to what it means to, to grow spiritually, to be a spiritually mature person. And that's to love God with all of ourselves and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us, Lord to remember that in the midst of the busyness in life that we're reminded to love God to love others that the rate at which I love is the rate at which I grow and I want to grow so here's what that means Lord alright it means increasing my love for you and for others help us throughout this series to do just that to grow closer to you 
to be reminded of your goodness. We worship you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.